We're going to open our Bibles now. Uh, As you've heard, we're starting a series through the book of Philippians, uh, a lovely letter, one of those kind of letters that everyone thinks is their favourite, and for good reason. We're going to be spending, yeah, a couple of months uh, working our way through this book, and today we're dealing with the first part of chapter one. So I'd invite you to turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter one, and I'm going to invite Sam up here, and he's going to read those verses for us. Philippians 1, uh, starting at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Cool. Thank you, Sam. Uh, Keep your Bibles open. We're going to work our way through this. There's uh, some long and complicated sentences in there and some words that are maybe familiar. There's some words that are unfamiliar. We're going to try and unpack all of it this morning. Um, So it'll be good if you can follow along as we do that. Uh, Jeff's already mentioned the Olympics. Uh, one One of the things that I really love about the Olympics is all the weird things you get to watch. Like it's there's a lot of strange sports out there, isn't there? And the Olympics kind of provide this two-week window where you can watch all these strange things that you never get to see anywhere. Like, like the other day, you know, quick kids, come, it's the trap shooting. Like, when do you ever see shooting on TV? Or the water polo. What, I mean, that's the most bizarre sport. And the discus, when do you see people throwing around plates and, like, getting medals? It's, it's amazing. I think it's great. Uh, and, it's, I mean, that's not even the most bizarre stuff. There's all sorts of weird stuff. And you get to enjoy these, these very bizarre sports. Um, but there were two things that, that struck me this week uh, in two very different sports, um, both team sports, but two things I, that I saw. Um, first was in the AFL. I know not the Olympics, but equally as important, we'll have to all agree. Uh, in the AFL, and it happened, it happened last week, uh, half-time, the, the teams are, are walking off you know, to, their, to their huddles and then to their rooms, uh, and the camera focuses in on one player, a Hawks player. Um, not, a, not a young player, a relatively senior one. And he is absolutely losing the plot. Like he is gesturing and he is yelling and he's, you know, he's just... He's, he's furious. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. He is so angry. Uh, and he's not angry at the opposition. He's not yelling at a, at, a, at a player on the other team. He's not yelling at the umpires. He's yelling at a teammate. 
at a, at a young player on his own team and he's, he's completely ripping into him and the camera follows him and it goes on for about a minute. Just him furious at this player on his own team. It's, it's unbelievable. That's the first thing. The second thing uh, happened last week in the team gymnastics. Um, you may have seen this, Simone Biles, you know, one of the most unbelievable gymnasts you'll ever see, just phenomenal ability. Uh, but she, she uh, performs on one of the apparatus, she's clearly not going well, it doesn't look very good, she comes off, she's grimacing, she uh, goes over, has a chat with her coach and then pulls out uh, and retires hurt. Now, you think, you know, greatest of all time, she can go and get great medical care, they're going to go and look after her, they'll bring her into the rooms and make sure everything's okay. But that's not what happens. Uh, she stays on the floor, she stays there with her team, and she becomes their greatest supporter. She's gone from their greatest talent now to their greatest supporter, and she's, she's running chalk buckets to them, she's bringing them their towels when, you know, when they need their towels, she's bringing them their bags and they're carrying their equipment, and she's, she's cheering and celebrating and, and encouraging her teammates. It was, it was wonderful. And it just struck me the contrast between those two. You know, two very different sports, but two very different pictures of teamsmanship. You know, one really awful picture and one that's obviously a lot better. Now in this letter, in, in the passage that we just read, uh, as Jeff points out, the, Paul, the, the writer, tells the church here, we are a team. We're not just a bunch of individuals who are kind of roughly facing in the same direction. We are actually a team as a church. We're all on the same side, working to the same end. But what does that mean? I mean, we've just seen the way we, we express teamsmanship in our world and in our sports can look very different. It can look from absolutely hacking into each other to celebrating each other. What does Paul mean? Well, Paul means by, our, our, by this, by this relationship, something very special. You see it in the, in the language that he uses. Do you, did you hear it as Sam was reading it? There's, there's a depth of feeling here, isn't there? There is a passion and deep emotion. His, his understanding of teamsmanship is, is rich and beautiful and it's something we want to be a part of. It's, it's something lovely that we want to share in. And this passage shows us how it works. It unpacks for us how it ticks. And that's why we're going to look into it today. Now, it's clear that Paul knows his church well. We, we saw last week uh, he was there when it was founded he was there when the first converts were made. And we know, uh, reading through the Bible, that he's, he's visited it at least a few times. So they know him and, and he knows them. And he loves them. It's very, very clear how he feels about them. We, we see that in his prayer in verses 3 and 4. Uh, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I mean, it's, it's wonderful, isn't it? You know, every time I pray, I'm praying for you guys. And I'm not, you know, despairing for you. Uh, I'm, I'm celebrating for you. Uh, you. I, I'm, I'm thanking God for you. You're special. And, and those prayers are, are so joy-filled. How's that so? Where's this emotion coming from? Well, he tells us there in verse 5. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He celebrates them because they share something together. They share a partnership together as a church 
and a partnership together with him. He's included in that. Now, this is an important theme in this letter. Um, we're going we're to keep revisiting it. This, this idea of a mutual sharing together amongst the church, amongst God's people. Uh, and it uses the word partnership here, um, but a word that it's often translated as fellowship, uh, which is perhaps a bit more familiar. Partnership, fellowship, same word, just different translation. And that word might be more useful, might be more familiar, but I think there's a bit of a trap there. Because what is it that comes to mind when I say fellowship? <laughs> Where does our mind go when we hear that word? Here's what I think, uh, here's how I hear us use it. Uh, we say something like, oh, we had such lovely fellowship the other day, um, which means we had a really lovely chat over coffee. <laughs> that, that's kind of how we use it, isn't it? Or we say, um, we had such a lovely fellowship meal, which means we had a really good conversation over a dinner that we shared together. And, and that's, that's kind of how we use the word fellowship. That's how we, how we talk about fellowship. And look, that, that's good. And that those things are important. But it doesn't really explain the depths of emotion behind the way Paul's talking about fellowship, doesn't it? You know, he's saying, I'm so filled with joy. Remembering the tea and bickies that we shared last time I was around at your place. <laughs> there's, there's a disconnect there, isn't it? And that's where we need to look closely at what he says. I always pray with such joy because of your partnership in the gospel. See, that's the key here. This is a gospel partnership. It's a gospel partnership in belief. They, they share together this, this belief and this trust in the life-giving good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. But they share in gospel partnership in what the gospel is working towards as well, in, in service to it, spreading and sharing and building this good news in the world. The gospel, that, that good news, that is the heart of their fellowship. That is what draws this partnership together so beautifully and so wonderfully. That's how partnership works here. Now, we, we've kind of domesticated the word, but, but that's not how they would have understood it. Um, in their time, fellowship, partnership, that was something big. Um, say, say, for example, Bill and Bob, very common Philippian names. Uh, Bill and Bob bought a digger together, decided to start a civil engineering business. They said, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna work together. You would say they had a fellowship in order to do this, a partnership. That's how the word worked. It was, it was a commercial word. It wasn't just that they sat down on a Friday and had some beers together. That's not their fellowship. It's that they got together to do this work together. They had an agreement and a, and a bond in their business, a fellowship or a partnership. And that's what Paul is saying you share in the church. That is how Christian fellowship works. We have a bond. We have an agreement, a partnership, a shared interest in the gospel together. And that links us together in a deep and important way. And it's not something that's easily lost. Because look at where that partnership led them. Look at verses 7 and 8. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or, def or defending and confirming the gospel, all of, you can sharing, uh, all of you sharing God's grace with me. 
God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Um, why, is, why is Paul so passionate about them? You know, I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Well, it's because of the way that they have kept this partnership with him. So Paul at the, t- at the moment, Paul is in chains. He's under house arrest. He's, he's awaiting trial. He's, he's been before the courts and he's spoken of the gospel before uh, the, the magistrates. It's, it's kind of a humiliating or really difficult place to be in. And yet the Philippians haven't abandoned him. They've seen the gospel isn't just a luxury that you, you enjoy during the good times and then, you know, drop when things get tough. They've seen that this gospel partnership is something that continues with us through all the highs and lows of life. You share that, I mean, it's literally the word partnership again. You shared with me in grace, in, that is in Jesus even in these good and difficult times. That's how gospel partnership works. It's through the thick and thin of life. It is hope and joy wherever life leads. And how is that possible? Well, it comes down to a precious truth. It comes down to the fact that we are not held in the gospel or in this partnership by the strength of our convictions, nor by any uh, advantage that the gospel gives us. What holds us and what keeps us in this gospel partnership is God. It's a work of God. And that's why Paul is so confident in his joy. Look at verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, the Philippians had started in the gospel by God's power. We, we saw that last week. We saw that uh, with, with Lydia, didn't we? You know, God opened her heart and she came to respond, to believe. God set her on the path of trusting Jesus, of being forgiven and receiving life in him. And Paul's saying that's true of every single person in the church. God started that work. He set you out on that journey. God starts that path and God sees it through. And he's not like a dad, you know, teaching the kids to ride the bike and gets them on the bike, gives them a push and then just watches as they teeter off until they fall. That's not how God works at all. God is the God who sets you on the bike and who pushes you and who runs alongside you and who steadies you as you wobble and who corrects you when you make the wrong turn and who sees you through to the end of the path. To the end of the track. That's what Paul's saying. He says, what God starts, God sees through. He doesn't abandon his people halfway along that journey. He sees it through to completion. When you start with Jesus, it's not a journey to who knows where. <laughs> There'll be twists and turns along the path, absolutely. But the end has never been in doubt. When you start with him, your destination is set. You will end with him as well when he returns and you will not get there by the strength of your own convictions you'll not get there by your own will and ability God will see you there he will bring to completion the work that he has started in your life already this gospel partnership that you have he will see it through no matter what comes up through uncertainty and uncertainty he will complete it Paul's saying God's not like us. 
Our lives, our lives, my life, is littered with the debris of unfinished projects, isn't it? Your, your life's like that as well, isn't it? That couch to 5K program that we set out on and never completed. Uh, you know, the debris in, in the back corner of the backyard or in the shed that, that was supposed to be furniture or a building project that we started. Uh, the junk that fills out the corners of our shed, you know, I'll find a use for it one day or I'll finish it one day, I promise. <laughs> Don't throw it out. The, you know, and this one hits close. The, um, the read through the Bible in a year program um, with the bookmark one third of the way through and a bit of dust on top. That's how we work, isn't it? That's, that's how we, we live. We start all kinds of stuff. We enter into all sorts of commitments and, and fail to see them through. But God is not like that. And Paul can say that confidently with great joy. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He will finish what he has started. And that is the sort of partnership, that is the sort of fellowship we have in Jesus. You and I, all who've trusted in him, that's what we share in, a work that God has started and that God will complete. It is gospel-centered. It begins with Jesus. It, is, it continues in Jesus. It is grounded in him and in shared service for his sake. It goes through highs and lows. It doesn't uh, ebb and flow with life. We are together always through thick and thin. And it's confident and glad in God. Knowing that he will see us through. That's the sort of gospel partnership that Paul celebrates here. And so look around. Look at our church. Look at these people. Is that how you see us? Is that the kind of fellowship and partnership that we, that we see, that we understand, that we share with one another? With those here in this room? Because that's the biblical picture, isn't it? That's, that's how the Bible understands this gospel partnership. See, too often, I think we, we end up trading this rich and joyful and passionate picture that Paul has painted for something that's quite pale and anemic. You know, we, we talk about fellowshipping in, in lunch and in coffee and in outings, and we, we miss out on this rich, side-by-side, gospel-based partnership that, that Paul's speaking of. Because, and this is to put it bluntly, if you are not opening the Bible with other Christians, you're not actually doing biblical fellowship. Now, that's not to say that you have to open the Bible every time you actually encounter another Christian. That's not it at all. But if you're not getting into the Word with other believers, you're falling short of this biblical picture of fellowship. If you're not wrestling through life in the Word, you're not experiencing this biblical fellowship. Now, again, that's not saying every time you meet a problem, you have to open your Bible and flick to the relevant verse. But it is saying when we have gospel-soaked conversations, we do this. We fellowship truly and properly together. If you're not serving in gospel-centered works together, you are not in biblical fellowship. Now, that's not saying we all have to go out and, and preach together that would be rather chaotic it's not to say we all have to do the same things but unless we are serving in the gospel together we are missing out on this rich picture of biblical fellowship 
It doesn't matter how many events you're going to. It doesn't matter how much time you are spending with one another. If you are not sharing and partnering and fellowshipping in the Bible, in the Gospel, and in Christian service together, and not just talking about rosters here, then the fellowship that you are experiencing is a pale imitation of what Paul is speaking about here. And your experience of, your depth of passions for and feelings about the church will guaranteed fall far short of how Paul writes of it here. But we can flip it. Do you want to feel this way about the church? Do you want to long for the church with the affection of Christ Jesus? Do you want to always pray with joy for the church and be confident and and feel this, this depth of emotion for the church? Well, it's actually very simple. Share in the gospel. Share in the gospel with those sitting around you. Share it together. Fellowship in it together. It's, it's, it's actually so easy, isn't it? Don't just join a roster. Rosters are good things and important things, but, but participate in the word with one another. Participate in your connect. Join a, a Bible reading partnership. Serve on a ministry team and, and work towards this end to discipling one another in Jesus. And you will experience greater joy in this church. I can guarantee it. You will love this church so much more. Partner with one another through the highs and lows of life. Not, not just in tea and bickies, but in tea and bickies and gospel-soaked and gospel-centered conversation. Encouraging and challenging and, and teaching and shaping each other by the word and in Jesus. And you will love the church. And you'll find this sort of love in the church as well. How can we build that kind of community? How, how can we deepen these kind of relationships? Um, let alone start it and keep it going? Well, Paul makes it very plain, uh, simply by sharing what he prays for the church, uh, how he prays with this, this real and deep goal in mind. He, he tells us very simply in, in verse 9, let me read it. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, obviously, we're going to need love if we're going to feel loving for the church. So it's no surprise that Paul prays for that. But did you see what sort of love that he prays for? that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That is, I want you to love, but I want you to love with a knowing love, a content-filled love, an intelligent, insightful, discerning love. Now, that kind of feels a bit odd to us because we kind of put love in the emotion basket and knowing in the thing basket. I don't know how we would call that. But we, we separate them. We, 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 we hold them apart. You know, knowledge, love, head, heart, and the, 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 the two never meet. <laughs> Almost as if they were opposed. But not for Paul. That's not how Paul sees it at all. 
Paul brings them together. He, he says, in fact, they have to be together for either of them to, to really work well. For love to operate well, it has to be filled with knowledge. It has to be growing in knowledge. That's the rich picture of, of, of love. Um, maybe, maybe I can illustrate. Um, I love food. Uh, I love eating food. That's probably quite evident to you. Um, I hate the word, but maybe you could call me a foodie, I, if, you, if you have to. But I love food differently to how a dog loves food. Now, dogs love food. If you've got a dog, you know that dogs love food. I remember our dog growing up, you fill its food bowl, and it is, it's a race with no one to empty it. <laughs> you know, it literally hoovering up the food and then chasing the bowl around, you know, furiously licking the scraps out. Now, that's how dogs love food, isn't it? Good food or bad food, that weird jellied meat thing that comes in the can or the scraps of our table or whatever it is, lots of food or not so much food, they just love food and will eat it furiously no matter what sort of food it is. Now, I love food, but I don't love food like that. <laughs> that's, that's not how I eat, just in case you're wondering if you've never been to, to dinner at our house. If I love food and, like a dog, knew nothing about it, I think I would get sick and die <laughs> because I would find something that I, that I liked and I would just eat that. I mean, why bother eating other things? I chocolate for dinner, chocolate for breakfast, fried food for lunch, who cares? Why not? But I know a little bit about food <laughs> and I know enough that that's probably not good for me. And so that's not how I eat as much as I would love to. Love of food with a knowledge of food comes together for something that is good. And so it is for us. Love for Jesus and Jesus' people and knowledge of Jesus and Jesus' people comes together for something that is good. That's how our love works. An informed and growing and knowing love. Not a, not a frantic and impulsive, just do it because I thought it was a good idea kind of love, but a love that is filled with knowledge. Filled with a depth of insight. That's how, we, that's how we grow, richer and deeper in him to a better love. And that helps us live. That's what Paul says there in verse 10 and 11. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. That's how this love works. It, it leads to uh, knowing in love leads us to discerning what is good. Discerning what is good helps us to choose what is good, and choosing what is good helps us keep in Jesus, growing to be more like Jesus. Not perfect, he'll do that when he returns, but growing to that goal and filled with good fruit to his praise. That's our goal. So how can you love our church more? How can you deepen in gospel partnership together? Well, it's very simple, isn't it? Learn Jesus together. And your love for him and for one another will be filled with knowledge and a depth of insight and be rich and fruitful and effective and good. It's that simple. Your spiritual walk is not just yours. Jesus has saved you to a community, to a people, to his people to a, a gospel fellowship, a gospel partnership together. You, you belong to that. You belong to this if you're in him. And if you don't participate in that, 
you end up missing out. You fall short of this full joy uh, and delight and privilege that, that Paul speaks of here. If all you do is turn up on Sunday and go to a few social events, you fall short of this. You're missing out on the richness that is on offer. But if you want to feel close to, if you want to feel part of this church, partner with it in the gospel. Partner with us. Learn Jesus with one another. And your love will abound. Your confidence in Jesus will grow. Your ability to walk well with him, to know how to live, to bear this fruit of righteousness, all of this will abound through learning him together. So you, you need us and we need you. That's how the church works. Not just to turn up, um, not just to put your name on rosters, as important as that is, but to partner in the gospel together, to learn it together in love with one another, to serve it and share it together and so be filled as, as a people of God with the fruit of righteousness to the praise and glory of God. Now, I think if you've known Jesus for some time, um, if you've been part of his church for some time, then, then you probably sense that there is something special in the church. There, there, there's something wonderful here, isn't there? There, there is a, a closeness and a sharing that, that no sports team can really come, come near to. And it would be so tempting for us to think, you know, what we have is awesome. <laughs> so so let's, let's grow it. Let's grow it like we would grow community elsewhere. You know, do more social events, do more time, you know, sharing stuff that we love together. Uh, and and that'll, that'll build our sense of togetherness. And don't get me wrong, there's a place for those things. But if we want our church to feel close, if we want those relationships to be richer and fruitful, if we want to taste this kind of yearning and love and longing that Paul talks about, the, the, the way to that is not just to do more stuff, it's to do more gospel stuff. More stuff centered in and on Jesus, sharing and serving and, and growing in Him, learning more about Him, doing it together, fellowshipping, partnering in Him. That is how our church grows. That is how we approach this, what Paul is speaking of here. That's how we bear more fruit of righteousness. And what an opportunity, <laughs> because it's not beyond us. It's so simple. It's something we can do now, something we can do tomorrow, it's something we can do this week and bear the fruit of righteousness together that comes to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is so good to be reminded of this precious thing that you have given us in the church together. Father, you have drawn us together so that we, we can share in Jesus together as his people, loved and saved by him. Father, what a partnership you've given us, a partnership, a, a fellowship that goes through ups and downs, that, uh, a partnership that you will see through to completion. What a privilege. And we pray, we pray that you would help us that we would delight in what we share together, that we would grow in what we share together. We pray that, 
our love would abound more and more, our love for you and our love for one another, that it would be rich in knowledge and depth of insight, that it would be rich in Jesus, that we would be learning and growing in him, not as individuals, but doing it together as his people. Father, we pray that this growing love would bear much fruit for your sake, that we would know what is good, that we would choose what is good, that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness, that we would bear much to the glory of your name when Jesus returns. Father, help us work this in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.